It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Discord, where you can interact with the hosts and ask us questions about the show. This week's episode, The Death of Hitler. Ah, Man, the music was a little louder this week. I swear I didn't move that slider. Ah, Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This week, we have a very special guest joining us. Icarus Kane, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast? Hey, yeah, uh, thanks so much for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm starting a podcast called Aliens After Dark, and uh, it's pretty similar to your podcast. Um, we do conspiracies, uh, historical events, and um, really anything weird and wonderful. Um, I try to do a lot of research for each episode, um, and so far I've done about four or five episodes, six episodes, and we should be starting to release them here within this next month. So, uh, really excited about that, but, but yeah. Yeah. I really like that name aliens after dark, my show name. (laughs) I just chose my show name based on, um, you know, SEO basically. I'm like, Oh, nobody took this yet. Aliens (laughs) and conspiracy. That's perfect. I'll just use that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You kind of stole that. That's kind of messed up, but uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) I had a good name. Uh, I wanted to do um, a riff on UAP, like Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to do Unidentified Alien Podcast, but that's taken. So oh, of course I was like, it's well, taken. I'm not going to not do the podcast. I just have to come up with a, a better name, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. it actually took me a really long time to find a name because... Yeah. Guess what? All the good names are already taken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those guys, those theorists, man, they, they took the, the good one from uh, Ancient Aliens. I was like, man, that's a Bogard, the good name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually um, Braden from Alien Theorist Theorizing helped me indirectly choose the show name because on one of his shows, he, oh, really? he made a comment like, oh, yeah, we're pretty alphabetically we usually come first so yeah you'd have to try pretty hard <laughs> to get a show name alphabetically ahead of us and i said that's why i did mine like that too <laughs> i said challenge accepted <laughs> <laughs> i did aliens after dark so it'd be aa <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> nice i don't know if that makes any difference or not but it was a way to narrow down that because i had pages and pages of ideas and i wasn't sure uh-huh. which direction to go so it helped me narrow it down a little bit yeah I hope it it helps. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you never know. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this week's topic, the death of Hitler. So this one is, it's a conspiracy, obviously. And there has been going around since actually since like 1945 or whatever, that a lot of people have thought that Hitler didn't really die in the bunker. So do you want to talk a little bit about like the, the background information or where do you want to start? Uh, Icarus? Um, yeah. Um, let me see what I got here. Uh, so, well, so 1945, um, it's, it's a, a weird thing. As soon as it happened, um, 
I think in the 1950s, they did like a survey in the United States and 50% of Americans said that they didn't believe that he committed suicide. So you have half the country that believes he escaped. So almost right away, I mean, definitely right away, there was like these holes and gaps and, and misunderstandings of what actually had happened as to, you know, did he escape? Did he actually commit suicide? Um, now, part of the problem, I think, with that is that when he was he was in this bunker, the Fuhrer bunker, and he, him and his wife in there supposedly committed suicide and by his instruct this is what i read i don't know i had i couldn't really verify this but by his instructions his underlings took their bodies out to you know a courtyard or a garden yep. put put gasoline on them lit them on fire so when we're talking about you know like his remains they, we're talking about burned up remains that were probably then bombed and shelled afterwards so we're talking about like bits and pieces of a burned skeleton basically we don't have a whole lot of evidence to go on right would you say that's um, correct yeah, so it's it's kind of a weird thing. So he Hitler um he didn't want to get married. And the whole reason why he never got married was cuz he felt like he Only was married to Germany. What's that? what's that? I was just it might have been related to him only having one testicle. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was just embarrassed That's about a whole that. Funny story. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually very self-conscious about that. Um but he he told everybody that he was married to Germany and it would take away from his um duties to his country and to the state if he had, you know, a wife and a family to also you know take take his time and his uh -huh. affections and stuff. So he was super wanted to come off as like extremely dedicated. And also I've read in a couple places that if he got married, women would treat him a little differently. And he wanted all, you know, German, German women to kind of idolize him. And if he was still single, then there was still an opportunity for them to kind of present themselves. And, and, you know, um, so the fact, one of the main reasons why it kind of holds up that he probably committed suicide was because at the end he um get finally gets married and he basically divorces germany and gets married to uh eva braun and then there's there's a will and testament that he puts out um in his last few days he makes one will to the like a will that he gives things to the to the state and to germany and then he makes a personal will and in one of them, he basically says, I think almost verbatim, that he's going to marry Ava Braun, and then they together will go into the into their private quarters and, and commit suicide. You know, end things at that point. So, I think that's a big big point that like he wouldn't have gotten married unless he was intending to kind of end everything himself, and ultimately, you know, together. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I had a thought earlier about that. I was thinking, that's kind of messed up that he made, I don't know if he made her, she probably went along with it, but I mean, Ava could have probably pleaded like, you know, plausible deniability, like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, she, they might have thrown well, I, something at her, but she, she probably I doubt she would have been hit with any war crimes or anything like that. I yeah. Mean, what did she do, you know? Exactly. So she could have gotten off pretty much scot-free. I mean, she would have been a pariah for sure, but... I thought that was interesting. I, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, why did, you know, she didn't have to, but she, she was probably really loyal to Hitler. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Very. Yeah. yeah. 
she wanted to get married a lot for a long time and she wasn't supposed to be in the bunker um in those last few weeks he had a bunch of people you know coming and going and and he was kind of running the Reich and the war from the bunker. And so he had a lot of people, he had about 20 or so people that were there the whole time. Uh, so you have people like his drivers, his, his, I think a pilot, a couple engineers. Um, I know Borman was there most of the time. And the leader, one of the leaders of the, uh, Hitler youth was there. A couple doctors and guards. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of guards on the outsides and stuff. And so Ava Braun, actually ended up showing up and had wanted to get married multiple times, but he always put it off and, and kind of told her, you know, like I'm married to Germany. I'm not going to take a wife. And when she showed up at the bunker, he told her to leave and told her, you know, like you need to go back to, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was just Bavaria or, or uh, Garden or somewhere, somewhere different. Maybe the Alps where they had, um, they had a different like chalet, but she refused. Uh, and she was like, no, I'm going to stay here and, you know, ride this out with you. And then in the last few days, it kind of got a little bit more like serious. They started talking about suicide. They started talk. It was weird. Cause he, he started bringing it up a lot. And then he's, they, they had these conversations of the best way to do it. And it got to the, like these kind of morbid, conversations where not just him and yeah. Ava Braun, but like a lot of the Nazi officials that were down there with him. Goebbels was one of the main guys that was there mm-hmm. is one of his most loyal people. And, uh, so, and so you have was like, a, wasn't Ger- was Goering down there too? Uh, Goering was in and out. Um, yeah. uh, Borman was there the whole time. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, it is a really weird thing. So you have about a few people like, Borman, especially, and Goebbels, um, which Goebbels was the um, propaganda guy. Yeah. And he, or they were, you know, incredibly loyal to Hitler. But most of the other high-ranking Nazis, they kind of saw the end of the war coming and mm. the downfall of Hitler coming. And so, like, Himmler... um Himmler, Goring, uh, and a few other the other guys started to kind of turn on him. Uh, his um, the architect Albert Speer, he kind of turned on him as well. And you have this weird kind of moment where everybody knows Hitler's kind of losing it uh, mentally and like governmentally, like the, he's losing the Reich and he's losing the war. And he's losing mm-hmm. his mind for a little like to an extent and so you have a lot of people who are just kind of waiting to see where the next who the next Fuhrer is going to be and where like trying to align themselves with that power line and um Himmler betrayed Hitler towards the end and Hitler um put out like an execution order on on Himmler and and called for basically his arrest and and execution um it was a really weird power grab thing that people were kind of waiting to see who gets power next. And I need to make sure that, you know, I'm on that person's good side um, before, you know, this all goes to shit. But now another problem I read about that could perpetuate these conspiracies is that 
it was not actually the Allied forces that discovered Hitler's remains. It was the Soviets. Um, that's what I found when I was looking earlier. Was that correct? Um, yeah, that's a that's another weird facet. Um, so basically, the Allies were um, coming in from the west on in Berlin. They had most of Germany. They had the western side of Germany and. Uh, so you have the Americans, the French, and the British are in, closing in on the west side. Uh, then you have the Russians are closing in on the eastern side, and they pretty much have all of Berlin is surrounded. And so a little bit of the backstory or background for that is um, Germany killed about, or, or I guess it's better to say uh, Russia or Soviet Union, lost about 10 million men fighting Germany. Um, I think, let me see my notes. It was, uh, yeah. 7 million, 7 million died in action and, uh, another about 3.6 million dying in German POW camps. Um, so the Germans or the, sorry, the Russians. Uh, so the Soviet Union is pissed and they have a kind of a debt to settle with the Germans. And so basically Eisenhower, instead of starting another conflict with the Soviet Union, kind of gives them the honor of taking Berlin mm -hmm. and having that, you know, that victory or that defeat of Hitler and of Germany and, and that revenge, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, because the, the war with Germany and Russia started with uh, the breaking of a, uh, a non-aggression pact that Hitler and Stalin had signed. Yep. together you know yeah so to, to go back on that agreement you know is obviously a you know a quite disrespectful and also mm -hmm. yeah the, the the extreme loss of life that they had to deal with i mean those are those are crazy numbers how many people yeah. that died just just in that uh just with the russians yeah so that, yeah just the soviet union 10 million yeah. and that's yeah. yeah that that basically gave them reason to kind of fight the allies for that for that right to kind of claim victory or whatever uh -huh. um so i guess I'll, I'll kind of explain the the end days or you know the last few days but um like i had mentioned they were kind of started discussing um how they should kill themselves and, and what how they should you know end this um and once basically he like he wrote his will but he told a few of the people to how he wanted to to be treated or how his fun how he wanted his funerary you know service to to go after he committed suicide yeah and he there was a moment okay so on the night um so april 29th he gets married on that afternoon or that evening he gets married to Eva Braun and then the next morning he kind of has this like I think there was like a breakfast, like a feast kind of. And then he kind of walks through, everybody kind of lines up and, and gets together and he walks through and like gives everybody, you know, this look and they all kind of know what's about to happen. Um, and then him and Ava Braun go into his private quarters and they hear one gunshot. Uh, it said that, I think I read that uh, it was Borman and... Oh, um, Otto Oxman, who's the head of the Hitler Youth. 
So I think it was those two guys who went into the room and saw Hitler's body. So they were sitting on a couch. Um, Hitler was slumped over to the left, I think. And Ava Braun was on the right with her, her, so it's on a couch. So her knees were up, um, like her feet were on the couch and she was grabbing her knees almost like in a fetal position. And she had like an excruciating um, look on her face. And Hitler had blood on his side and his arm of the couch. And uh, there was no blood on Ava Braun's side. Um, they also said that she smelled of almonds, which is basically like kind of what would happen if you took a cyanide pill. And they didn't smell any on Hitler. So there's a, there's a, that's one of the mysteries about like, how did he kill himself? Did he also take a cyanide pill? Cause he had talked about doing that, like biting down on a cyanide while he pulls the trigger. And so that there's kind of a mystery there. That's one of the, the actual big mysteries that's un unsolved or, or you know what have you but um it's kind of a fucked up thing where uh this little tidbit but he told or Ava Braun asked him you know is this going to be is this going to be painful and he actually told her that you know it's completely painless you don't have to worry and it's actually one of the most excruciating ways to commit suicide it's so he straight up lied to her. yeah um it's supposed to be like really terrible but he just straight up lied to her and told her it should be, you know, you won't feel a thing. And when they found her or when they came in and found her, she had like an excruciating look on her face and her veins and her neck were kind of popped out. And, and, um, so right after that, um, I think it was, it was Borman and Otto Oxman. They wrap their bodies in blankets and they take them outside, um, to do like this, like Viking funeral. One of the discrepancies is like when they were interviewing um, all the all the survivors from the bunker, they were asking, you know, did you see Hitler's, did you actually see Hitler? And they were kind of being coy, I guess is a good way to put it. But like they were answering their questions without giving the interrogators what they wanted. So they'd be like, you know, well, I didn't see his face. So I didn't you know i can't say 100 percent for sure that it was hitler but like you're if you imagine yourself in the bunker and you know you know like he went into this room nobody else goes into this room you hear the gunshot yeah. you know what happened like you you're being a little bit coy with the fact that like no i didn't see his face but and so after that um they take the bodies out into the kind of like the courtyard they take them up and out of one of the emergency exits <clears throat> and Hitler had specified that he didn't want anybody to witness this. It was only for the, you know, this close few that were in the, that had been in the bunker with him. Um, but like, like we kind of mentioned earlier, like this is the end of the war and the bunkers being like constantly shelled and bombed. So to take his body out there and burn it is like, a, is like a big, a big task. Like, you have to do this while there's bombs going off and, you know, gunfire gun fire and stuff going off in like, you know, a couple blocks away or a block away, you know, like you're constantly hearing this literally war going on while you're trying to give your Fuhrer a Viking funeral that he requested. <laughs> so it kind of shows, speaks to their loyalty, but um, they had like, I think, I can't remember the exact number. I think it was like 200 gallons of gasoline or of petrol to uh, 
use to keep his body burning because he didn't he was worried about um the russians or the soviet union getting a hold of his body putting it on you know putting his head on a stake and parading it through berlin and through munich um uh, you know all these different places in like as a trophy and so he didn't want that so he so so they kept the bodies burning um they they buried him or, or they they put him in a an actually a artillery crater a shell crater and you know they had to keep going back to the bunker once they had it lit and you know they had to keep going back and forth to put more gasoline on it to keep it lit and at that time there was all these like guard shacks of these um much lower ranking nazis who were just guarding the place who are witnessing kind of what's happening and again you're not just gonna go and keep a body burning unless it's like you know hitler it's it's, you're not going to do this for just a regular guard you're not going to do it for even for goebbels um which we'll see in a minute but they they kept it burning for i think it was like six to eight hours like it was a long time and and they wanted almost nothing to be left and then they Mm -hmm. took the remains to a different area i think it was just another crater and they ended up burying it there and then you know some more people like goebbels his story's totally fucked um yeah he he, he, it was him, his wife, and his six kids were in the bunker with him. And yeah. Uh, this, yeah, this is totally jacked up. But basically, he ordered the murder of his children. Um, he had a doctor go in and give them morphine shots. And they were told that it was a vaccination. And then they, I think it was the doctor again, came in and, and gave them all cyanide pills. And his, one of his daughters, I think a 12 year old daughter woke up or like there's evidence that she kind of fought back. She struggled. Yeah. She struggled and fought back to an extent. And again, that's another, one of the other points that like, if Hitler was escaping, Goebbels would know if Hitler was escaping, Goebbels would have escaped and wouldn't have committed suicide him and his wife and his wife wouldn't have allowed the murder of her children and the main reason was like she didn't want her children to grow up in a world without this nationalist national socialist you know democracy or whatever you know you want to call it but she didn't want her children to grow up in a world that they assumed was going to be communist wow that's messed up yeah that was one of the one of the rougher parts of, of this whole, you know, story or, or historical event was that I, I couldn't imagine doing that. But, I mean, like I said, it kind of lends a little credence to the fact that he probably did commit suicide because, again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing that if you're Goebbels unless, mm-hmm. you know, unless you knew that Hitler had already done this. But basically once Goebbels and, and his wife um, commit suicide, I think they both just took a cyanide pill and they were taken out to be burned as well. But kind of in relation to Hitler, they were only burned for like a 
an hour, two hours, maybe three hours. They weren't, it wasn't as much care taken with their bodies to make sure that they were burned in the same fashion, you know, like it, and also by that point there was more bombing. The Soviet Union was a lot closer and it was a lot harder to keep those bodies, you know, aflame. So when they found Goebbels and his wife, it was a lot more recognizable. Hmm. Yeah, they were much easier. It was much more easy to identify the bodies. Right, right. So, and like when they found what what they thought was Hitler's body, it was burnt so damn bad. Like the pretty much the only thing they can go off of was a was a dental records. Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of go back a little bit, but one thing that a lot of the people described when they were escaping uh, the bunker, or you know, a lot of the survivors were escaping the bunker. One reason why I really think that Hitler did this, um, he he wanted ultimate destruction of everything uh, at this point in time. Like he he was pretty much he knew that the war was over, he was losing, so he wanted to destroy all of Germany. Um, actually, let me uh, let me read you a quote real quick. So this is Hitler talking to his architect Albert Speer. And Speer had the, the, it was one of his best friends, um, but he had kind of turned on Hitler and which is a weird thing because this is one of the only people that turned on Hitler that he didn't turn on. Like he turned on Himmler and ordered Himmler's execution because Himmler wanted to surrender to, to the allies. Cause he knew if they surrendered to the Soviet union, that things were going to be a lot worse. So Himmler wanted to like orchestrate the surrender and Hitler was like, fuck no, fuck you. Like we're all going down and we need to like burn everything. And so when the people were escaping from the bunker, they, Hitler had ordered anybody who wouldn't stand in the, he, he started something called the people's army and he ordered every last citizen to stand and fight. And anybody who wasn't was to be, uh, executed by the SS. So the SS is just out there running around killing Germans. And when they, when these people escaped from the bunker, they reported like, you know, men, women, and children hanging from trees and light posts. And these are like, wow, regular German people, not, not like Jewish people, not, you know, war victims or, you know, anything like that. Like these are just the regular population that they were four they were ordered to kind of kill and so like it's this morbid like war scene that they kind of came out of the bunker to witness but uh i'll read you this quote real quick uh so this is hitler talking to albert speer uh he says quote if the war is to be lost the nation will also perish this fate is inevitable there is no need to consider the basis even of the most primitive existence any longer. On the contrary, it is better to destroy even that, and to destroy it ourselves. The nation has proved itself weak, and the future belongs solely to the stronger eastern nation. Besides, those who remain after the battle are of little value, for the good have already fallen. End quote. Wow. Yeah, so kind of gives you his mindset a little bit on he wants 
And he spoke of it a number of times, but he wants ultimate destruction of everything. If he's going down, he's going to burn as much as he can and destroy as much as he can himself, as opposed to having the Soviet Union or the Allies come in and, and do it himself. And Albert Speer was trying to save the German industrial complex or the, the you know, basically the industry of Germany. Albert Speer was like trying to save it. Like once this war is over, we're going to need to rebuild. And so they were kind of having that discussion. And that was like Hitler's like main statement. Like everybody worth any value has already died. And this, us losing the war, basically he considered losing the war as treason. You know, everybody who failed and didn't die for their country has committed treason against the country. Hmm. Well, we got to keep Volkswagen, so (laughs) there is that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's one of the main... um, Companies that kind of came out of World War II that was like, they have a, a pretty checkered past, but. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and they continued it. Well, actually, we should do an episode on them, um, you know, and their shenanigans, but that's a oh, whole. Oh my, yes. That's a whole <laughs> other topic, though. <laughs> I just uh, read something about their whole diesel engines and stuff. Um Recently, that's this pretty shocking. The thing that bothered me the most, actually, I saw a whole documentary on it, was when they were testing the exhaust fumes on like monkeys or something. And yeah. I just like that's that's horror. You don't need to do that. That's yeah. awful. Why? It's completely unnecessary. Leave those poor monkeys alone. Put them out in a zoo or in the wild. Let them throw poop. Whatever. Dude, just leave them alone. It's just it's, they just put them in a cage. But anyway, let's not let's not get it. It's a yeah. whole, whole other. thing. <laughs> that's a whole yeah, yeah. whole other episode. Yeah. Um, so a lot also, of, a lot of the Nazis actually fled to Argentina and other parts of the world. So mm-hmm. some of them did get away. And that's a big reason why a lot of people, not just back then, but even up to this day, they believe that there's a strong possibility Hitler also fled because so many people did so many people who should have been tried for war crimes actually got to go and live in peace somewhere else. Yeah. So, at the end, um, pretty much everybody fled the bunker, and there was two guys left in the bunker. It was the two engineers, um, uh, one guy named Herschel and one guy named Mish. Um, Everybody had fled, everybody else had left and tried to get away, and the... These guys are just kind of, I mean, if you can imagine, they're sitting in the bunker waiting to see, you know, what's happening and, and who's... They assume that, you know, somebody's going to throw in some grenades or flashbangs and pretty much, like, come in guns blazing. And it doesn't really happen like that. It's kind of funny, but these um, Soviet Union soldiers show up, but there's a bunch of women that show up first. And they come in, and they ask these two remaining guys, you know, where... (laughs) Nothing about Hitler. They ask them, where is uh, Ava Braun's clothes? And they go and like raid her closet and like for a couple of hours until the like main forces of of the uh, Soviet Union army show up and they kind of like skate out of there so they don't get, you know, reprimanded for, for stealing her stuff. But they take a bunch of her dresses and a bunch of things. And so it's this weird like 
thing. And if you can kind of put yourself in their shoes, they've been through this brutal war and nobody's got the mindset of trying to preserve anything. Um, They've got the mindset that this hell of a war is over and let's fucking celebrate and let's get some revenge on Germany and raid and and pillage Mm -hmm. this land. So there's no real thought of of preserving anything of, of crime scene or nobody really cares where Hitler is or, or at least the main forces. Like they're just happy that this war is, is ending and they're not asking questions about, you know, where's Hitler. Um, two hours later, the rest of the soldiers kind of show up and there's this weird thing. Like I said, they let Soviet union come in f- first and have that honor. And the allies didn't go into Germany or into Berlin for two months after um, April 30th, 1945. They came in on in July. So by that point, the, the allies are extremely uh, concerned about what happened with Hitler. And the only thing that they've heard so far was a radio uh, message went out and basically said that Hitler died fighting in battle heroically. And so this kind of like this Nazi propaganda that like they're basically just trying to play that like he's he's a martyr and he died for your country so you should die for him. And uh, that's all that the Allies really know. Um, they start asking about you know what happened to Hitler and there's a guy um, named uh, Dukov. He's a Soviet Union kind of higher up, and he basically says like, "Yeah, Hitler's dead." And then Stalin comes out pretty quickly and is like, no, Hitler's not dead. We don't know. We think he escaped. And this is, this is like a super important part where like Dukov, uh, Stalin kind of suspects Dukov of becoming a uh, political rival. And so just to kind of like knock him down a peg, he comes out and is like, Dukov comes out and is like, yeah, we, you know, we've got the remains of Hitler, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Stalin's like, no, you don't. And just kind of like knocks him down a peg and is like, no, you're wrong. Hitler escaped. And kind of right after that, Dukov falls back in line and says, okay, well maybe he escaped on a plane to South America or to Spain. And there's a number of reasons why this is, beneficial for Stalin. Um, one of them to, to knock down, you know, a future political rival, but also if Hitler's dead, there's no reason for the Soviet union to remain in, um, Berlin and in Germany. If he's possibly still alive or has possibly escaped, that gives Stalin the reason why, you know, to say like, Hey, well, he's possibly still here. I'm going to keep my forces here and stay longer than I necessarily would, you know, had it come out that Hitler was dead. So that was like a big thing that like, if he came out and, and agreed with Dukov, Dukov looks good and he doesn't get to stay in Germany as long and, and kind of occupy that, that side of Germany. And it, it kind of, he's kind of trying to justify his vengeance there. Like, you know, like prolong this ravaging of Germany and this, the revenge that he wanted to you know show his people that he was getting for them basically what 
had happened was they they waited two months before the Allies could come back, could come into Berlin and kind of investigate themselves. Um, Stalin, they they did find the remains and they just ended up burying it. And like I said, they occupied Eastern Germany for quite a while. Uh, they didn't do anything. They didn't really do any investigation of anything. Uh, they kind of perpetuated the uh, conspiracy that he possibly escaped. And they. it wasn't for until like a year and a half later that they went back in, dug up the uh, remains, and that's where we get the skull fragments and the uh, the jawbone. And they went and buried it somewhere in Eastern Germany. And then they realized when they were giving Eastern Germany back to Germany, they realized that we need to destroy these remains because, and it wasn't just the skull and, and the jawbone, it was, it was all of the remains. And they, they decided we need to destroy this stuff because if anybody ever finds out where it's buried, which at that point in time it was buried in, in Eastern Germany, if anybody finds out, they didn't want it to become like this memorial, like rise of the Fourth Reich kind of like burial site, you know, like, um, what's the word? Um, yeah, sort of like a, a monument or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A monument um, to Hitler. They didn't want that at all. So they dug up the remains, uh, they cremated them again, and then pretty much just dumped them in a river um, where they were pretty much never to be seen again, except for a skull fragment and the, and the jawbone. And they took that back to Germany and or back to Russia and then didn't let anybody have any access to it for a long time until about 2009. Um, let's see, I got his name right here. Uh, the Americans finally got access. Uh, they sent an expert, uh, Nick Bellantoni, and he analyzed the uh, skull fragments in 2009. He basically concluded that it was not Hitler's, and that it was, um, uh, uh, it was a skull of a woman, pr- most likely under forty, and that really made the Germans, or I'm sorry, that really made the Russians mad because this is like their their trophy of World War Two, you know, their victory trophy that they they conquered Hitler, and so. They weren't going to have, at the very least, they weren't going to let any Americans near any other type of like studying or analyzing of of the rest of the remains in the jawbone. And so it wasn't until 2017 that they let a, finally let a French expert, uh, Philippe Charlier, come in and analyze the jawbone. And he really wasn't supposed to do anything with it except for just kind of look at it. Um... And he was—he wasn't allowed to really do much except for look at it, just because of what had happened with the Americans. They were worried, you know, if we have a second expert come out and say that this isn't Hitler's either, we're—I don't—screwed. But I mean, like, it's—it's going to look bad for them that they've held up that he that they've had his remains. After a while, they came out and they said that he was dead and they had the remains, and so that was just going to look really bad on them. Well, it turns out that Charlier came out and said, you know, this is absolutely the jawbone and, and the teeth of Hitler. Um, as far as his records go, they, they had some, it's kind of weird. And again, this whole historic story has like 
tons of gaps and loose ends all over the place. So it's easy to make it into a conspiracy and, and it it's understandable wow. why it became one. But basically his dental records were pictures drawn by dentists from memory uh, of, you know, Hitler's mouth. But eventually they, they did produce, um, Hitler went to prison after uh, something called the beer hall pooched. And it's basically like he, um, the beer hall pooched was in 1923. Uh, it was where Hitler and the Nazi party attempted to overthrow the Weimar pub, uh, Republic. And basically kind of like a coup. Um, Hitler got caught. It was unsuccessful, and he got sentenced to five years in prison. Uh, he ended up only serving nine months. But at his entry to this prison, this jail sentence, uh, he was x-rayed. And so they got copies of the x-rays and the skull and were able to kind of match the uh, the teeth and, and the, the dental records with that. Um, eventually, they did do some DNA testing and definitively proved that this jawbone was Hitler's. He also came out, Charlier came out and said that it, it's possible that this skull fragment was still Hitler's. It's not a guarantee that it was a woman's skull. Um, some of the reasons why Bell and Tony kind of, um, yeah, he said it was, he said it was a woman's skull because it was like thin or something, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it was thinner than what it should be and their sutures weren't fully connected or something along those lines. And basically it's just, it's, it's uncommon, but not, um, out of the question for, a man that age of, of 56 to, to have a thinner skull. Uh, it's uncommon, but it, it's not, you know, impossible. But, uh, so after, after, you know, some testing and stuff, they came out in 2018 and with their report and definitively proved that that was Hitler's. And since then there's been a lot more testing on it. That's kind of just corroborated it. But, but yeah, like you were saying, like, there's, I mean, you have U-boats starting to show up in Argentina and in South America. You have planes making it to Spain and Italy. And one thing that that show, um, Hunting Hitler, does really well is it kind of shows the Nazi infrastructure in South America and in Spain. And one thing I learned from that um from that show, one of the episodes, they talk about how the Red Cross was set up all over Spain and Italy. And a lot of these Nazis were fleeing from, from Germany and different places where they were stationed and going to Spain and to Italy to the Red Cross. And if you can kind of see it as the, from the Red Cross's perspective, like we have a bunch of war victims and they have, everything has been destroyed in their lives. You know, they, they've lost their identity, you know, social security cards or birth certificates or, you know, whatever identification they may have is all lost. So the Red Cross is issuing new identities for people. And so all of these Nazis end up going to the Red Cross, getting completely new identities with completely fake names, but it's like paper legal. Like the Red Cross basically says, you know, what's your name? And they tell them a fake name. And then the Red Cross gives them a passport and a birth certificate, you know, and and full-on identification of a different person. So that's one of the ways what, where these guys were able, how these guys were able to escape so easily was that 
in trying to do something good, the Red Cross actually kind of aided their uh, escape, I guess. Um, and and like in the FBI, uh, all the FBI papers that came out, let's see, in 2011, I think it was. Uh, yeah, you'd, you'd like to also, you'd like to hope that the Red Cross did help some people that genuinely needed help, that it wasn't all a bunch yeah, well, of... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it wasn't all war criminals, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there was, there's a lot of people that, that it did benefit, um, just as an unlikely or an unfortunate um, yeah. kind of happenstance of that was these Nazis also were able to get away and... Now, going back to Argentina real quick. Now, I read that Hitler or his regime or whatever had paid a guy named Pedro, what was his name? Uh, Juan Pe oh no, Juan Peron and his wife Evita. Oh, yeah. The Nazi party had paid them a lot of money, and that's why they were so accommodating when people fled there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Peron. Um, they, and like, like we kind of mentioned, that's one thing that the, um, hunting Hitler show really shed a uh, a good light on was that there was really a, a Nazi infrastructure set up and Perón was completely accepting. Uh, he was a dictator in his own right, and um, they they did they had a whole setup for anybody basically fleeing, and Germans were completely welcome um, after the war. It's it's really weird because so you have these FBI papers come out where people are saying that they've seen Hitler and, you know, different high ranking Nazis. And so a lot of a lot of the paper, I think it was like 700 papers where, you know, these people are having sightings. Um, one thing that the, the, the show, the History Channel show kind of leaves out is like there were also sightings in like Japan and America and I think Australia, like all over the world, but they really just focused on the ones in Argentina. And it makes a bit of a sense because that's, uh, there was a pretty solid structure set up there for him to escape to. And he may have had that planned at some point, you know, or he may have been to Argentina as some kind of like, you know, end of the war vacation or, you know, like whatever. I don't know what he possibly was planning, but like maybe if he did want to escape, he had it set up to where he could have. But it kind of ended up coming down to, you know, falling the cards falling a little bit differently. But um, there were there were definitely Nazis that did escape. Like we have uh, the uh, Israel um, found Adolf Eichmann and discovered that he had escaped to Argentina, uh, and they pretty much like kidnapped him in the night. <laughs> And brought him back to Israel to to stand for for his war crimes and and they they were yeah. not too kind to him, which yeah. is good. I mean, Israel got real good at catching Nazis at some point, mm -hmm. and they did some pretty shady stuff themselves. But you're like, yeah, but they're catching Nazis, so. right? Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> so like they got it coming, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that show was weird because you kind of, at least for me, like I started rooting for the fact that like Hitler got away. And I had this weird conflict. Like, I was like, why am I rooting for him to have successfully made it to Argentina? And I kind of realized, well, it's like, he, he kind of got away with his own action. You know, he got, he got away with his behavior by committing suicide. So if he escaped, then there's a possibility that we could catch him and he could 
you know, finally, we could finally have some justice for all of his, his bullshit. But it, it was a, kind of a conflicting thing that I, I felt watching that show. At some point I realized, I was just like, man, like, why do I have, why did I have wanted him to get away? But it's because I wish he would have gotten caught, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of taking the easy way out of, of like a suicide or something. Well, I think sometimes um, when when you have somebody like Hitler, for especially for us, I mean, you know, we weren't around during World War II. You know, like I, I don't mm-hmm. know, I don't know if anybody is still around from that time, but you know, it's we didn't experience that stuff firsthand. So for us, it's just like a story. So you have the heroes and the antiheroes, and yeah. there, you know, some people root for the antiheroes. Like we did an episode on DB Cooper. He's sort of yeah. like this anti-hero and, and like a lot of people root for it. I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Hitler necessarily. Right, I'm, right. I'm talking about the psychology of it is mm-hmm. there is something appealing about rooting for the villain sometimes. And you've seen that in yeah. many movies. So it's a weird psychological thing. I wouldn't worry about it too much, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get me started on the Milgram studies. Let's not talk about that. Right <laughs> <now. laughs> um. Yeah, so it was just, uh, there There was, I think one thing that lends a lot to this is that they did start catching actual high-ranking Nazis. Like, you have Mengele, um, I think the Doctor of Death, or whatever his nickname was, like, the most evil, one of the most evil people in that whole regime. And uh, he, unfortunately, just died of old age fucking surfing, from what I found, like, just died happy on the beach, you know, whatever. And it's just like, it's very unfair <laughs> of a world. But, uh, so Mengele and, um, Eichmann were two very high ranking Nazis. Uh, there was a conspiracy that Bormann also made it to, to, uh, I think Buenos Aires to Argentina and, you know, had a illegitimate daughter that he raised and this, that, and the other. But he was actually, it was proven that he was, killed in germany or possibly committed suicide in germany as well and his remains were were uncovered basically in this one area in germany uh, but yeah i mean that's pretty much it you, i don't know if you guys want to talk about some more conspiracies there's a uh, yeah there's there's any there's no number end. of reports throughout the years that people would come forward, especially people from the Soviet Union. Like I was a, a former soldier and the, you know, the, the Soviet Union. And I saw, you know, that this happened and Hitler really got away or, you know, even German people, you know, German soldiers or people claiming to be German soldiers came out throughout the years. And by throughout the years, I really mean it. I don't mean just in the forties. I mean, you know, over time, there've been an awful lot of reports of people claiming that, oh, I was with him in the bunker and we escorted him out on some tanks or, you know, mm-hmm. he got to some U-boats or whatever. But, there, I mean, none of them offer any actual proof that I could find. Yeah, They're just people telling a story and many of them probably seeking some sort of, you know, payment, you know, or maybe they're trying to publish a book or something. Mm-hmm. But I did, I did find one that I'll say is my favorite which is, uh, hold on, let me scroll up in my notes a little bit here. This, So my personal favorite conspiracy was there was a guy in, um, in 1946, a preacher named William Henry Johnson claimed to be hit- Hitler and that he escaped to Kentucky of all places, which is just ridiculous because, <laughs> you know, it, the, who... 
you're going to go to the place that wants to get you the most. I mean, you're not going to go to the United States and you're not going to go to, you know, Russia, you know, those, those two places would be ridiculous. Even if you're German and you're going there, you know, why, why would you go there? Like, they don't want you, you know, nobody's going to treat you nice there. It'd be, it's stupid. But I guess you could make an argument that, you know, hiding in plain sight or whatever, something like that. But anyways, the preacher claimed that he was Hitler and through letters, he, I guess he wrote letters or whatever and published them. And he said that he was going to conquer not just the world, but the universe using nuclear bombs and invisible <laughs> spaceships. <laughs> and somehow he was able to raise $15,000, which would be approximately $150,000 in today's oh, money wow. by, I guess, just putting these stories out there and asking for donations. Now, does that, <laughs> does that mean that there's a lot of Nazi sympathizers in Kentucky? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of money back then. If you know, yeah. <laughs> but this guy was eventually arrested and convicted for mail fraud in 1956. But it's just such a wild story. <laughs> like if you read who in 1956, who in their right mind is going to read a story, say, oh, this really is Hitler. I'm going to send him some money so he can do his bad stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Digging tunnels under, I, I guess he said there were tunnels going under Washington, D.C. and stuff. And there were, <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. Like you could probably do a whole episode just on this one guy. On this one guy. <laughs> it's a, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous, but that was my personal favorite story. But yeah, there's a lot of stories throughout the years, but one conspiracy that we could look at that I think would probably fit the facts is that a lot of these stories coming out did come from the Soviet Union. And I think there's an argument to be made that the Soviet Union had, um, they they were trying to throw us off the trail. They knew that the CIA was out there looking for stuff and they were trying to throw false trails out there so that they would go chasing after something that didn't actually exist. And that's one idea as to why they put out these stories. I mean, like you, you spoke a little bit earlier about some other reasons, but that's mm-hmm. one thing that I thought about when I was looking at, looking at the stuff earlier today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a number of, of reasons why it benefits uh, the Soviet Union to kind of disinform the allies and, and the United States just kind of, get you looking in one area while we, you know, we can do something else over here. And then you guys are busy over there with this, you know, wild goose chase, you know, if you will. But, um, all the FBI records, they kind of, they do their due diligence in a lot of these, um, reports and a lot of these, these, um, sightings or, or, you know, whatever reporting people are doing like, Hey, I saw Hitler in, in Queens, you know, at a, behind a counter of a, a sandwich factory, you know, and, uh, or I saw Hitler on a bus and it, it must be Hitler. So there's a lot of those types of, of reports, but then there are some pretty credible ones. Um, there's a couple that actually do that are pretty credible coming from South America and different areas. And really one main reason why the FBI is kind of, um, taking this so seriously is because they were worried that whoever's starting these rumors is trying to keep the memory of Hitler going and trying to gain support and start a fourth Reich. And so, so it, it was a 
big deal of like, we need to make sure that this isn't what's happening. These people aren't saying, you know, this just because, you know, they're delusional or is it because they're trying to like incite support and, and, and also fear, you know, um, of, of a fourth Reich. Yeah. And it's, that sounds kind of crazy, but if you look back at, like you were saying, you know, how, just how people committed suicide for him, you know, Mm-hmm. This guy was not just charismatic. He was something else. He was next level. He really, I mean, I, it's hard to explain, but if you go back and you look at just how people reacted to this guy, it's almost like he had some sort of hypnotism or magic or something. He was able to just get people to do what he wanted. He was, you know, he was unbelievably charismatic. He was like, he's the kind of person I imagine who, you know, you meet and you're like, oh, that was somebody special, you know, and I'm yeah. not, I'm not trying to put him up on a pedestal, but I'm yeah. trying to say is that that's, that's how revered he was, is that just the rumor of him still being around could rally yeah. the forces, get people to come out of retirement, so to speak and say, oh, is he back? Okay. Well, we're going to get back into this thing then, you know, like, right, right. Ev- even, even though we got our asses kicked and our country was destroyed, and everything's ruined because of him. We we like him so much. He's just so influential. And it's funny because if you go look at like if you've ever seen one of his old speeches, it's the crazy oh, yeah. the craziest thing because you watch a speech, you're like, I don't even know what the fuck he's saying, but I'm on board. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. It's it just go watch one of his old speeches, and you could mm-hmm. see just he was like this electric personality, and I can I can understand why he was just so popular and how he was able to do what he did. Even though, you know, obviously he was sort of like, you know, Satan on earth or whatever. He's a very bad man. And I'm not, I'm not trying to glorify him at all. What I am trying to do is sort of explain like the psychology of it just fascinates me how he took a whole nation of people and led them off the cliff into insanity. It's just, it's, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. It's hard to understand, hard to wrap your head around, you know, but yeah. Well, there, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, There was this huge propaganda um, shift where he was pretty much like controlling everything that was that the average German or the average citizen was hearing. And he, um, he practiced different ways and different species speeches and ways to like, uh, I think I was reading something or watching something earlier today where they were talking about how he would practice, like he would go in to, um, one of these big speeches that he would do and he would talk really monotone and really quiet and mumble. And, and then he would just like slowly build and build and build until all of a sudden out of nowhere, he would just start shouting and just like pretty much like you kind of said, like you don't even have to know the language and you're on your feet, like ready to fucking go to war for this guy. And it was all this like psychological game that he was playing with the audience. And he learned how to do that really well. Um, he, I don't know if you know much about Houdini, but Houdini was kind of like, would build the suspense, you know, and, and whenever he would do a trick, he would, um, like he would get in this tank of water and then shut the curtains and get out. And it would only take him like a few minutes to get, to get out, but he, or, you know, 30 seconds to get out and, and of his, you know, complete his trick, but he would leave the curtains shut for like three or four or five minutes just to keep the audience in suspense and Hitler would do things like that. Like he would, uh, be late to his, his own speeches just to like get everybody kind of like, 
not annoyed, but like get build the tension. And then he would always enter from uh, different areas, like random areas where you wouldn't think that he would enter. And he would always just walk up and walk straight through the crowd of people from different, you know, points of entry or, or you know, depending on the locations of the places, he would always walk through the crowds of people after he had made them wait for a while. So there's already like this psychological game that he's playing with people. And I think that's one thing that really kind of helped him. He had a lot of things that kind of fell in place and he got really lucky with of, of why he rose to power. But he, that was one thing he really worked at where you could kind of see it definitely in his speeches. Like you said, like if you just watch a speech without even knowing any kind of German, you can see why he captivated people and why people were, you know, ready to do anything. And, and yeah, like not like God level or, and not to glorify him at all, but like he, he, he captivated the mind of mind of the average German citizen, I guess is the best way to put it. But yeah. Well, and maybe that's the best lesson to take away from the whole, you know, the whole Nazi, you know, I don't know even what to call it. It was hell on earth for a while there, but mm-hmm. the maybe one of the most important lessons is, to take away is just how he manipulated people and to be aware of that so we can identify it when it's being done to us today because those same techniques, guess what? They still work and they're still being yeah. used today. And I'm I'm sure there are people out there who are aware of these techniques and are still using them, you know? So it's it's important to maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a good takeaway. I don't know. But it's it's scary to think. It's it's kind of frightening just how easy it is for certain people to convince other people, like just by using mm-hmm. not by using a good argument or by using, you know, like, hey, let's do this because it's a good idea, but you know, using things that make them charismatic and they can control <laughs> they can, it's 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 crazy. It's just it doesn't yeah. make any sense, you know. But it's a thing. And I think it's, you know, good to be aware of that. Whether or not being aware of it will help when it's actually happening, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of analogies to Trump on kind of like his Trump rallies and how he was doing things. And there's a lot of people make a lot of connections um, with the way Trump got people riled up and the way Hitler kind of did. Um, and he like they, they make comments that he was using some of those same, I guess, tactics or psychological plays with his audience and it's scary it's i mean exactly right like the the general audience or general public like not to say any individual is stupid but like the general public is sometimes easily manipulated without realizing the propaganda that's being fed to them yeah and and the, the scariest thing for me is do i believe what i believe because it's true and it's right or do i believe yeah. what i believe because i've been manipulated into doing yeah. so and exactly. I can't tell, you know, it's the forest yeah, versus the sometimes. tree sort of a thing. It's exactly, it's, it's scary to think about. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, it's exactly, that's the best way to put it. Forest through the trees. Like how sure are we of what we believe? Is it because we're persuaded or manipulated into this reality and this perception? Or is it because this is true or, or, correct or right you know yeah it's it's uh it's that's that's the kind of thing where you start thinking about that and you know you're like (laughs) 
man, I feel like I just smoked a joint, but I, you know, <laughs> like your, your head just starts getting all twisted up and stuff. You're like, what is the, what is real? You don't even a real, you know, I don't know. That's a whole, that's a whole wormhole that, you know, it's very uncomfortable <laughs> to think about, you know, it's like, is, is you gotta, you gotta think about it from different perspectives and think, okay, what is, what does it look like outside of this perspective? And it's almost mm-hmm. impossible to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to keep an open mind when a lot of times people have their opinions as part of their identities. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's hard to kind of separate yourself from, I want to be right so bad. Well, and I think that's why um, we don't generally get too political on this show because we, you know, we want this to be a show for everybody, but that's, that's why I think that both sides use, tend to use polemical arguments where, um, like an, an argument where you're trying to convince somebody like, Hey, let me show you my evidence. That's just a normal argument. Like a polemical, uh, if, unless I'm getting my terminology mixed up here, but I believe like a polemical argument is where instead you're saying something that's basically offensive. Like, Oh, you believe that? Well, then you're stupid. But both sides in America, both sides of the, both political parties do that. And I think right. it's for that reason. They're not doing it to argue a point. They're doing it to, you know, to fire up their base, to get people yeah. emotionally involved. And like, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That guy is stupid. You know, like, cause they don't want people to think about the issues. They want people to just react. It's mm-hmm. a manipulation, you know? And yeah, it, it's very team minded. Like yeah. my team is, is the right team or the better team. So whatever they say, I support, you know, and, and your team is wrong. Whatever your team says, because yeah. we're on opposite, you know, teams and stuff. And it, it's, it's. It's a weird dynamic right now. Yeah. And it's, it's like, if you look at like the, the government, like they'll in the Senate or whatever, they're like, okay, we're going to oppose this, whether or not it's a good idea, just because the other guys want it. You're like, well, (laughs) wait a minute. What's the point? Yeah. Whatever happened to like bipartisan, like negotiation and compromises Mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Cause we, Mm -hmm. we have a, a very unique, well, I don't know if it's unique, but we got 50 States that could be individual nations, each individual one. So you have to somehow compromise between all these different States. And even some of the States, like I live in California and California itself could be a bunch of different areas. Like it's not homogenous at all. It's a really big area with yeah. different populations. And it's like that all over the country. And it's like, mm-hmm. we got to compromise here at some point. It's like, there's not one size fits all, but that's what they try selling you in these political arguments. Like, okay, this is right. This is wrong. And it's like, well, what about there being some sort of conversation about all that stuff? And it's just, it's just kind of scary because it's sort of, you know, it's, it reminds me of certain things like what this episode's about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. knock on wood, hopefully that, uh, you know, we don't end up in a situation where I think the difference is with, <laughs> with, uh, Nazi Germany is that the government was basically taken over by one party. So when you have two parties yeah. fighting each other, that prevents that sort of situation. But if one party were ever to take total power, mm-hmm. I, you know, help God help us all. <laughs> You know, and right, I'm, yeah. I'm not even a religious man, but that's what I would say, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah. Kind of, oh, like I, I kind of mentioned, but like he had a, Hitler had a lot of things that kind of fell into place and luckily, you know, worked out for him. Uh, when he was coming into power, uh, I think he was voted, he won the election to become the the next chancellor. And at that point in time, they had a, they also had a president who kind of ran the, ran the country. And at the time where he become, became the chancellor, uh, the president at that time was 
old and frail and pretty much on his deathbed. And when he ended up dying a couple of years into Hitler's chancellery, uh, the president ends up dying and Hitler does this weird, smart thing where he basically dissolves the presidency and he's like, and this guy was kind of like his rival or his enemy, but he ended up, you know, having such poor health that it didn't really matter and he wasn't running anything. But Hitler basically says, you know, as this propaganda ploy, like our president was such a great man that nobody else can be up to his level. So we're going to dissolve the presidency in his honor and there will never be another president because nobody can stand up to him and, and be as great as he was. Wow, that's and brilliant. Yeah, and so he dissolved it, and basically all the power now goes to the chancellor, and that was him. And so it was this weird thing, and it was a, it was a very smart move that he he kind of and like I said, it it worked out for him because at the time the president had was so old and you know was falling into poor health, and so it was just this lucky thing that like he kind of jumped on and made it work for him and and took complete power. Wow, that's yeah, that's a very intelligent maneuvering there, mm-hmm. and it's sort of so you're propping up your opponent for your own benefit, and it's yeah. I think most people wouldn't be capable of that because you know if you got somebody who's your opponent, you're gonna you're not gonna ever prop them up. You're only gonna mm-hmm. try to knock them down. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah, man. That's yeah, that, and around that time was when he, um, he basically. W- told the whole nation that um, he he was no longer the chancellor, he was the Fuhrer, which um, basically means uh, the leader or the guide. Um, and that, that became his title. Uh, even though he was a chancellor, he, he stopped going by, you know, the chancellor or whatever, but he started um, being, being referred to as the Fuhrer. Yeah, and to, to put it in perspective, um, if people who are not aware of, you know, the history of the time... The reason I think a big part of the reason why he was able to take power is because after World War One, Germany was pretty much they were on their knees, like economically, they were yep. in a depression, like people were super desperate. Like it was it was a really, really rough time in Germany. So when you have this person coming along and saying, Hey, we're gonna make things better, basically, you know, and, and his message, like it's weird because his message at first I'm not a historian, but this is what how I understand mm-hmm. it. He didn't get to power by saying, "Hey, we're going to kill all of these people." You know, mm-hmm. he might have said, "Hey, these people are are bad," and you know, they're like he targeted the Jews, for example, saying, "Hey, you know, they're they're evil and everything." But mm-hmm. he didn't necessarily come out and say, "We're going to kill them all." You know, he sort of slid into that over time, from what I understand. So you have these people who are really desperate, and they're like, "Yeah, these." This minority population that, you know, we, we don't like, sure, we don't like them, you know, let's go ahead and mm-hmm. hate on those people. And then, you know, when he got into power and he, you know, he sort of continued that theme and said, okay, well, anybody who's not with us is against us and we're going to basically kill them. And that ended up being, you know, a whole lot of people, unfortunately, but it's just a really scary thing. And I think a big part of the reason he was able to accomplish what he did was because of just how desperate the nation was after yeah. You know, the, the World War One reparations and just how bad things were in Germany at the time. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right on. Um, like you said, the end of World War One really left Germany in shambles. And 
a lot of it came from a lot of his like uh, support came from the fact that the German people were looking for somebody to blame for all of this. And they really got behind this idea of like being a nationalist. And they, I think they basically, at some point they made it illegal for, um, for Jews to be a citizen or, or something along those lines. And so it was like, you're not a nationalist. You're not from our nation. And we are all about, you know, the German people and, and, you know, the, the perfect race, you know? Um, and so they really pitted the, the society against these people and, or, you know, the Jewish population there. And they, he came out and was, in, in one of his like party, um, his, his national socialist party, like guidelines and, and like, um, like memos basically to, to the public of what his party was, was behind and what they stood for. And he basically said that like, if you're Jewish, um, it's not a race, it's a religion and, or it's not a religion, it's a race. And basically their God, he, he kind of like, this is part of his propaganda, but he basically said that they worship money and wealth and, and themselves and power. And so he kind of just like put this out to all these people and, and it allowed the society to kind of have somebody to blame for the fact that like these Jewish people are still wealthy, quote unquote wealthy, um, even after the war when everybody else the the general german population is, is suffering and is after world war 1 is is in shambles and he he really pitted the quote nationalists the people he told you know you're a nationalist because you're from germany you're a german citizen and you're of german heritage these people are not like you and they're the ones we can blame and so it was really this this manipulation of of, of the public yeah, it's it's really frightening. And like I said, the uh, Mil- I believe it's the Milgram studies. They t- they tested this, and it's I'm laughing because it's terrifying. What they did was they 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 put people in a situation where they basically use an authority figure to tell them to do bad stuff to other people, and they did. You know, this was an experiment, and they found oh, that yeah. they were able to take normal people. Yeah. And the the thing that's so frightening about this is that, you know, we all think, ah, we're better than the mm-hmm. Germans at that time. You know, we would never do that kind of stuff. But I mean, the the study suggests that a lot of people would actually fall in line if you were not, you know, one of these minority populations. And it's just absolutely terrifying to think, you know, the the end, you know, the the punchline here is that this could all happen again. You know, that's where yeah. I'm going with this is that our, our modern society, like we have not evolved at all past where the Germans were at and it's possible to get there again, you know, that's, and it's just absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the pro like a big problem is like the structure of our society relies on trusting our government and relies on trusting, like we, we, as a, as a society, we're more successful when we can trust our government. And so we have to rely on the fact that we don't have much, you know, many other choices as to, I mean, like, sure, a lot of us can, can kind of realize that it's all bullshit anyways, but 
for society to function in, in a certain way, we have to accept that, you know, the police are there to protect us and the politicians are there to, to do our bidding as citizens. And even though I, I think there's a big population that doesn't believe that and doesn't, you know, think that that's happening necessarily right now, which I kind of, I mean, you, I kind of see, you know, both sides, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's easy. And it, it, like you said, it can happen again. And that's one thing that's really scary. There's a lot of reasons why that we shouldn't trust our government. I mean, they've proven it themselves. They've, they've lied to us and done different things where, you know, like, um, Iran Contra or, um, or what Watergate ab- and what about Operation Paperclip where, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, where, you know, our government is like, okay, Nazis are bad, but if mm-hmm. they have some knowledge we can use, then yeah. they get off scot-free. You yeah. Know, what how, lesson does that can, teach you? How can you trust a government that's willing to hire Nazis? It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. You know, yeah, our, you can get away with anything as long as you're smart enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like it's, to, uh, to, to use an example that's not quite as extreme as uh, Nazis is that, I don't know if you've seen that movie, Catch Me If You Can, about, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's that guy's, I forget the guy's um, name, but that's based on a real story. DiCaprio, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he played him in the movie. And uh, oh, what's that? it's on tip of my tongue. Anyways, I could- They I, show him at the end, yeah, I think they, yeah. I could Google it. But the thing that really chaps my hide- to coin a phrase about that movie. Does it really grind your gears? Yeah, it does grind my gears. It really boils your water. This guy committed many crimes over many years, and at the end of it, he gets caught. But instead of putting him in jail because he has a skill to offer, instead, Mm -hmm. they hire him and pay him a bunch of money, and they give him an awesome job. (laughs) You know, and it's like, I can see the perspective of the government where, okay, we need help catching these people, I guess, but on the other hand, it's like, well, if I get really good at crime, I can just do crime. And then if I get caught, if I'm good enough, the government mm-hmm. will just hire me. <laughs> yeah, just, I can just help the like, government stop other people. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, there's, but if you're, if you're not born with the correct talents and you're just a criminal and mm-hmm. you break the rules, then you just go to jail for the rest of your life. It's, it's a very unfair system. Yeah. Where sometimes people get penalties and sometimes people don't. And it doesn't make any sense to me at all. If you commit the crime, you should go to jail. And if you don't go to jail, why should other people go to jail? Because mm-hmm. let's face it, some people are more talented than others. Not all of us are blessed with these extreme talents that the government wants and that will yeah. give, get us off our crimes. Most of us are just average and if we committed a crime, we would just end up in jail, you know? Like right, right. It doesn't make any sense. Like the government doesn't care how well I can roll a blunt, but yeah. they care yeah. how well somebody that's can- that's an art can, form. Can, yeah, yeah <laughs> I agree. But they care how well somebody can can uh, counterfeit money and, and checks and stuff. And, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fucked system. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, on that, on that uplifting note, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I had. I mean, we covered all the major points, I think, on the, the death mm. of Hitler. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover? Um, yeah, no, I think that was, I think that was it. I was, I was going into it um, kind of blind when I started the research. I really wasn't sure. I, like I said, all I had seen really was that Hunting Hitler show a couple of years ago and wasn't really aware of 
of what the eventual science that came out was about it. And it's not like they did a show, you know, analyzing Hitler's jaw. You know, they never, they never did that history channel show. So I wasn't exposed to, you know, the, the analysis of what it, what it was. And so when I started figuring it out and researching, it was just kind of mind blowing. I wasn't sure if it was even going to be an episode because at least in the scientific community, it's pretty well understood that he was definitively proven to be, um, to have committed suicide. So I wasn't sure Mm -hmm. if it would even be worth an episode, but then I realized, you know, I had no clue. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that aren't aware of, of the science that had come out about it. Yeah. And just to give the audience, uh, an idea of the timeline here, the most recent academic paper I saw was from 2018. So this has been going yeah. on for a very long time, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It's been ongoing to, you know, to get like some sort of scientific consensus, you know, and, and I can see the arguments both ways. Like if, if you look at a certain part of the arguments, it's real easy to make an argument that he escaped. I mean, it's, you could say that, you know, he did all this stuff saying that, oh, you know, we want this funeral and stuff and talking about suicide just as sort of like a blind or to cover his exit. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, he was a very, very clever dude. So you could make the argument that he'd be clever enough to escape Germany and go to Argentina or wherever, you know, and it's yeah. it's not that hard to make that sort of an argument. But if you look at like the, the x-rays, which, you know, I didn't know about until you told me about them, you Mm -hmm. know, a few days ago, um, the last, the last I heard, I had never looked into this in detail. The last I heard, like they had the dental records, which were basically, like you said, the dentist like hand drew some stuff, but I mean, how that may or may not be that accurate. So as far I was not memory. Yeah. I was not aware of like the recent developments that we have pretty much have proof that he did die in the bunker or, you know, but it's, it'd be, it's kind of makes it an interesting conspiracy that, you know, if you take the certain pieces of data, sort of like the moon landing, you know, you can, you can definitely frame it to where it happened or it didn't happen, depending on what argument you wanted to make. But when you look at the totality, it seems to me that he really did die in the bunker. I mean, it is definitely more evidence pointing towards that than against. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I think that's one thing that's so big about this is that it was totally possible if he wanted to he probably definitely could have escaped and and you know gotten away with at least gotten to argentina or you know wherever he wanted probably he had the funds and support um it's a ride on a submarine yeah um he had he had the means to to be successful in escaping and that's one thing that's like so such a such a big part of the conspiracy is that it was possible and it's pretty clear that it was um feasible for him to get away but but yeah i would i would uh, probably last thing i would just want to say if if anybody's interested um my main sources of of kind of research and all this i would recommend if you're interested uh there's a book called the last days of hitler the seventh edition and that's by a guy named hugh trevor roper uh he was an mi5 basically an intelligence officer for the um for the british army and he wrote this book he was the main guy doing the investigating for the united states uh they hired him to do the investigating the investigation and he wrote this really good book i would definitely recommend that and then um there's a book called what really happened the death of hitler 
by Robert J. Hutchinson. Um, that one talks about kind of the science and stuff afterwards and, and what all happens with, with Russia and, and Stalin and, you know, basically the science of the jawbone and the analysis and the teeth and, and skull fragments and stuff. So if anybody's interested, mm. I would definitely recommend those two books. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll link those in the description so people can find them easily. Perfect. And, um, yeah. So do you have any final thoughts on this ETA? Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess as far as like what my opinion of what, what really happened is like, um, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm in agreement with like the the main like like general story that he died right there at that bunker, and uh, it was just uh, the confusion you know w- within the story. Basically, it's just how how that information was handled like between like the Soviets and and everybody else. You know what I mean? So there there are so many different stories that came out, so many different uh, things that people said had had happened. You know, whether he took poison or he shot himself in the head or whether he had, you know, switched with a body double and then made his way on a submarine down to Argentina. I don't think that's likely, to be honest. I think that he probably died there in Germany, you know, at the bunker. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's my opinion, to be honest. That, that's probably most likely what happened, I think. Yeah, yeah that seems, seems to be that the, in, this, in this case, which is pretty rare for our show, <laughs> seems to be that the... Uh, you know, the prevailing uh, opinion t- seems to be the most likely one, which doesn't happen mm-hmm. that often in stuff that we cover, mm-hmm. actually, <laughs> believe it or not. But all right. So before we before we finish up here, do you want to give a plug any socials or anything else like that? Um, yeah, no, I, I really don't do social media. Um, <laughs> I know that's kind of uncommon, but uh, but yeah, uh, here in a couple of weeks, I'll let you guys know if you want to. Um, tell your audience but um, my podcast will be coming out um, with our first episode on the Fermi Paradox Uh, and again our podcast is called Aliens After Dark so definitely definitely check it out all right and you also you also did an episode on this topic that you haven't released yet is that correct yes uh, I haven't released any episodes yet Um, I've kind of just been trying to get some recorded Um, I've done um, Fermi Paradox uh, let's see. I did DB Cooper, which was really fun. I did um, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, and uh, yeah, my my most recent one was was uh, Hitler, and that one, uh, yeah, that one will be my my last one so far that I've that I've done and will release. So All definitely check topics. that one out because it it was a uh, a lot of research went into that, and it it, it was really mm-hmm. interesting. So yeah, that's the fun thing about these topics is that. Quite often I'll have a topic, okay, let's do this. I think, ah, there's probably not going to be that much to it. And then you end up going down the rabbit hole and you find, oh, there's way more than I thought, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Usually I try to take about a week to two weeks to really dive in. And the more I got into this, it took me like a month to kind of get through everything and, and really dig up everything that I could. Um which after a certain point, it gets pretty repetitive. You're kind of finding the same conspiracies and the same, you know, yeah. story. But uh, I wanted to get really as much of an understanding of like his early life, his rise to power, and why he would have killed himself. Why? What his mindset was? Yeah. You know, towards the end of his towards the end of his life. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. 
And uh, yeah. yeah, that's I guess that's about all we have for this week. So thanks for listening. And normally Ether would say, keep it strange, but she's not here. So I'm going to go ahead and say, or let's say, unless somebody else wants to say, anybody else want to close us off here? Perhaps Agent ETA? Uh, keep it strange, you fucks. <laughs> <laughs> all right there we go <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'm gonna hit stop record here